Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. You know, I was thinking about this this morning, how, um, how the Spirit of God inhabits His church and how the Scripture says in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And, and I started to think about and was reminded about this morning how the thing that makes the church different from every single other organization in history is the presence of the Lord. You know, Moses, when they were in the, the, uh, in the wilderness, when, when Moses was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, um, he said to them, he said, Lord, if you and your presence don't go before us, we won't go. There was such a commitment to the presence of the Lord, uh, even amongst that nation, which at that time had a lot of rebellion in it. Uh, and it just, it just reminds me, and, and I was thinking about it a bunch this morning, how important and how critical the presence of God is in our daily lives. You know that the Bible says, J- Jesus said to the disciples before he left this earth, he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what the challenges that you may face, no matter what brought you to this moment, I want you to understand that God's never left you. He's always with you. And if you'll lean into him and if you'll expect from him, he'll manifest his presence in your life. When he manifests his presence in your life, then things begin to change. Can you say amen to that this morning? Amen. Praise God. Let's... great uh, pleasure and, a, and an honor to be with you this morning. As my wife said, I'm Pastor Josh. She's my better half. Amen. She's much prettier to look at than I am. And, uh, and I'm so thankful to get to pastor alongside of her. Um, boy, I've got a lot of things to say today. Goodness gracious. Um, we've been in a series that has been absolutely second to none awesome. And um, we've been in it for, today's the 11th part of our series on the book of James. I don't think I've ever taught for 11 messages in a series. I don't think so. I can't remember. Um, But I'm I'm super stoked to to get back into and conclude our series today. Before I do that, I want to say a couple of things. Um, The O'Loughlin family is with us. Having just moved here from Florida, uh, Tim and Kelsey O'Loughlin and their kids uh, have just moved to this area. Yeah, you guys give it up for them. Tim, Tim is one of my lifelong best friends. He's the brother of Sean, who just took up the offering. Tim was the best man in our wedding, and we we grew up together. We go way back together. We've uh, we learned how to pray together. We learned how to get in trouble in youth group together. Uh, we learned how to we learned how to cause problems at youth camp together. But most importantly, we learned how to seek God together and learn how to pray together. And, and, and his wife, too. We were all part of the same awesome little group of, of, of young people that grew up together, went to church together. We had the, the benefit of having the world's greatest youth pastors, John and Tanya Yutzi, when we, were, when we were kids. They taught us how to seek God. And I'm just so glad that you're here this morning. This is their first, uh, first time joining with us today. And so I wanted to call them out and embarrass them you know, thoroughly before we got started. A um, couple quick things before I share what's on my heart. Uh, you know, 
I've said this to you before. Summer is, summer in a church, especially in a college town, summer is when you preach to the choir. Uh, summer is when you preach to the people that are, that, that are committed and they, sh- and they show up still in the summertime to hear you. And so I understand that that's the case. So I want to thank the choir this morning. Thank you for being with us this summer and walking through this uh, series together. We have been challenged. How many of you have been challenged by James this, this summer? I mean, we have had our rear end kicked in a couple times over. Um, in fact, we were talking in one of our leadership meetings, Tim Putnam was saying to me, he's like, man, you want to feel like a crappy Christian. Just read the book of James a few times. I thought, boy, that's really true. You know, it, uh, it stirs you and it challenges you to come up higher. The thing about the spirit of God is that he never condemns us. He only ever convicts us. And there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation presses you down and tells you you're less than who God says you are. Conviction always pulls you up and says, hey, you're more than who you're living in. The Bible says that Jesus has seated you with him in heavenly places. Don't live down here. Come up and come up and be where he's called you to be. That's the difference between condemnation and conviction. So my prayer is that you were convicted this summer uh, as we went through this book. I know that I was. Um, as we have done, as we were instructed to do by the Holy Spirit, for this entire series and this entire summer, we started at the very beginning of each message by reviewing our five core values as a church. And we took time to do them one at a time and review them each week. Today, I'm just gonna mention all five of them to you real quickly because I've got a lot of review to do uh, as we close out this series. But there's five things that we value here at, at Hope Church. And these five things, they, 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 they create the boundaries for the culture that we're establishing here at our church. How many of you know that culture is important? You have a culture whether you want to or not. Uh, your culture is, is, is who you are. It's what you live. It's how you think. It's, it's what you tolerate. Uh, all these kinds of things. And we have five values that define our culture. And I just want to give them to you real quick. Number one, we value God's word. Number two, we value God's presence. As you can tell, this church is a place where the presence of God manifests. I mean, if you, if, if, if you don't feel Jesus after that worship, holy Moses, if you, that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Um, so we value God's word. We value God's presence. We value God's family. We value God's culture. And we value God's character. These five things are things that we think are important. And you'll continue to hear us talk about them as time goes on. Amen. This morning... I think it's going to feel a bit like we're drinking out of a fire hose, uh, so stay with me because I think the Lord wants to say some things and minister to some specific needs this morning uh, that are here and also to those who are watching us online. Welcome to our online folks. Uh, great to have you with us. I want to make our confession of faith that we like to make each week, and then I'll pray and we'll jump into some review. If you're watching online, you can see this. If, you, if you're here this morning, I want you to declare this with us out loud together. Thank you, Father, that today... The eyes of my heart see you. The ears of my heart hear you. My heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Why do you say that, Pastor Josh? Why do we do this every Sunday? Because Jesus said in Mark 11 that you will have whatever you say. And we believe that that's true. So we're saying that we're growing in the things of God. We're saying that the eyes of our heart see Jesus, that the ears of our heart hear him. We're declaring that we're receiving this morning, and uh, we believe that we actually get to receive and, and, and live in the benefit of that confession. Amen. If you would turn to James chapter 5. I 
I have so many things to say this morning, and I'm going to do my best to be as, as brief as I can. Hallelujah. James chapter 5. I'm trying to find my timer. Somebody moved it on my phone. There we go. Okay. James chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 13 down through the end of the chapter. This is, this is it. We're crossing the finish line here. James chapter 5, verse 13, we'll read and then we'll pray. It says, is there any among you sick, or excuse me, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. It's a powerful prayer. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the word this morning? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we've been given this morning to come before your word and to receive. God, we don't take this opportunity or this moment lightly. But we choose today to cherish in our hearts that which you would desire to speak to us. Our hearts are open. Our eyes and ears are open. We're ready, Lord, to gain a hold and an understanding on what it is that you want to speak to us today. Holy Spirit, I ask you to communicate to your people today with accuracy. Father God, that we would see and know and hear clearly that which you desire to say to our hearts. For the scripture says the entrance of your word gives light. Thank you for light, illumination, revelation, and truth coming to our hearts today. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name and let everyone say amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to, before I dive into these these verses, I'm going to do a very quick, and I mean a quick, review of everything that we've talked about in this series up to this moment. So, as I said, it's going to feel like we're drinking out of a fire hose for a few minutes, but just stay with me for a second. Uh, we, if you haven't been with us for this series, what we've done is we've taken two Sundays to cover each chapter. So uh, we've spent a lot of time in this book, and it's been really powerful. But I'm just going to cover real quickly what we, what we have covered give you the cliff notes of it to bring us to this point so that we can all end this book together and really understand what James is trying or was trying to communicate to us. Uh, we ask this very important question from day one of our series, and that is, what is the theme of James? We've had this theme uh, since the very beginning of it, and we've reminded ourselves of that over and over again. The theme of James is maturity through divine wisdom and authentic faith. Maturity through divine wisdom and authentic faith. At the beginning, we did a little introduction uh, talking about the context of this book, who wrote it, when it was written, where it was written, to whom was it written. Uh, And we said this, James, we discovered James was the half-brother of Jesus. 
and kind of made some jokes about what it must have been like to grow up in the shadow of the Son of God because James was believed to be Mary and Joseph's first child. Of course, Jesus uh, being born not to Joseph, but to Mary alone. And uh, we, we found out that James actually did not like his brother Jesus and was not a supporter of his ministry at first. And I think I could understand why. Jesus is out here walking on water and James is just trying to be a good carpenter and you know, probably screwing up along the way. Jesus is healing the sick. James is coming home with you know, popsicle art from third grade. Mom and dad, look how great. You know, I made Noah's Ark with popsicle sticks. And uh, isn't that awesome? And then you know, Jesus is over here you know, healing lepers and stuff like that. So it must have been challenging to grow up in the shadow of the Son of God. It turns out that James and the rest of his brothers and sisters didn't like Jesus until Jesus rose from the dead. The scripture tells us that James, once he saw the Lord having risen from the dead, completely changed everything in his heart and became one of the biggest proponents of Jesus' ministry after he saw his brother raised from the dead, which ought to tell you and ought to tell me that when you see the risen Christ, something in you changes. Amen. Jesus, as long as Jesus is just a story, a figure from history on a page, it's not going to do much for you. But when you see him as he is, the way Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and saw the resurrected Christ in his glory, it forever marks a person and it changes their heart. James was no exception to that. In chapter one, we learned that we need to count it all joy. How much? All. There we go. Joy is the key to victory in every situation. We said that it's not hard to rejoice. It's just sometimes hard to start rejoicing. But once you start, it's easy to rejoice. Amen? We also learned that we need to become doers of the word. Just like a person only sees themselves when they're actually looking in a mirror, so we only really understand and receive the revelation that we've gotten from God when we start to do it. You only can see yourself when you're looking at yourself in a mirror. You go away from a mirror and you're not seeing yourself anymore. In the same way, we think we know something that we've gotten from God, but it's not until we start to do it that we can actually say, oh yeah, I heard from the Lord, I know it. I know this thing, I know that thing. In chapter two, we learn the difference between real fake and fake faith. Real faith is demonstrated by corresponding action. Fake faith is lip service. Remember I said that James was probably from Missouri. The show me state, the prove it to me state. James says, oh, you got faith? You say you got faith? Prove it. Do something with what you say you have. In chapter two, we also learned or further learned that works are a byproduct of authentic faith. Just like the body without the spirit is dead, the verse says, I think it's verse 26 of chapter two, just like the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. You remember that I brought up a glove and I said, this glove has nothing in it. There's no life in it. I'm shaking it around. There's nothing in it. But as soon as I put my hand in the glove, now the glove becomes useful. So So is our faith when we add corresponding action to it. Faith without, a, faith without works is just a glove without a hand. Then we turn to chapter three and we started by asking this question. What if it were possible to completely control and direct the course and trajectory of your life? Would you do it? 
James starts going after the words of our mouth in chapter 3 and helps us to understand that there is not a place in our life that has not been impacted by something we have said. There is not a place in our life that has not been impacted by the words of our mouth. He tells us that if we don't have control over our words, we're not yet mature. And I don't know about you, but that was a hard one for me to swallow. Are you telling me that if I can't control my tongue, I'm not mature? But Lord, I pray. Lord, I read my Bible. Yeah, but if you, if you can't control your tongue, you haven't grown yet. Amen. We said there are three. I, listen, I already preached this. You have to go back and listen to the podcast if you want to get more. There are three kinds of words to eliminate. Three kinds of words to eliminate. Words that are complaining, words that are crushing, and words that are careless. Words that are complaining, words that are crushing, and words that are careless. In the conclusion of this chapter 3, James juxtaposes heavenly wisdom with earthly wisdom. He defines earthly or worldly wisdom as selfish and self-promoting. The way that James describes what the world calls wisdom sounds like the behavior of an angry toddler who doesn't get what he wants, and somehow the world still calls that wisdom. Remember, we said that it's self-promoting and it's selfish, meaning I want it, it's mine, and if you don't like that, I'll fight you for it. That's how a four-year-old acts, acts in, in the grocery store when they don't get the Fruit Loops or Lucky Charms or whatever it is that they're trying to get off the counter. Yeah, I don't know about you. I don't want my spiritual life to resemble an angry toddler. Amen? Hallelujah. He then goes on to describe heavenly wisdom. And, and, and in James's description of heavenly wisdom, he, he says that the heavenly wisdom is defined by words like peaceable, pure, gentle, willing to yield. See, the world tells us that that's not wisdom, but God tells us that's exactly what wisdom really is. In chapter four, James starts talking to us about our motivations. I hope I'm not going too fast, but I can't afford to slow down because I got too much to say. In chapter four, James starts to talk to us about our motivations, the basis for what we do and say. He tells us that when our motives are wrong, we force things rather than ask God for things. Is one of the easy ways to tell us what our motives are. If you, if you, by the flesh and by the strength of your will, have to force something to happen as opposed to asking God for it to happen, that's often an indicator of where your heart is on the matter. We said that God is more concerned with the conditions of our hearts than he is with the satisfaction of our flesh. James, is, James begins to talk to us about humility. And he says that real humility is all about honesty. We also said, and this was one of those ones that I wrote down, God will meet us where we are, but not where we pretend to be. Our motivation before God and our willingness to be humble, which means honest, is often going to determine what we get. But how many of you know that when we're honest and we're humble, what does the Lord give us? Grace. Amen. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James concludes chapter 4 by showing us the danger of judging one another by illustrating that the only way we're able to judge someone is by elevating ourselves to a level that God never put us on. You remember, Claire was my demonstration friend, uh, my helper for that. 
uh, and, and she stood here and I got a chair and I stood next to her and I got up on the chair because remember that it, it, when James tells us judging, uh, not to judge, he's, he's using this particular Greek word which means to speak down to someone and the only way I can speak down to another brother and sister is when I elevate myself to a place that God has not elevated me to. That's the only way I can actually speak down to someone. So he closes that chapter by giving us some safeguards in three areas of our lives, in, our, in the area of our priorities, our presumptions, and our pride. If you can safeguard by, by, by walking with the Lord and by being humble, you can safeguard your priorities, you can safeguard your presumptions, and safeguard your pride, God will really do some amazing things in your life. We finally got to chapter 5, and James started to ease up on us a little bit, but not before going after people who are wick, wickedly wealthy. James goes after those who have accumulated wealth through wickedness, specifically idolatry, fraud, and selfishness, rather than through the blessing of God. We said there's very clear in Scripture that God's not opposed to people being blessed. He just doesn't want you to compromise your integrity to get the blessing. Amen? If it costs you your character, you're not hashtag blessed. You're a thief. Amen? <laughs> If, 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 if you have to get something through fraud and it costs you your integrity, it's not the blessing. It's just the flesh being fleshy. Amen. He tells the believer and he begins to kind of turn and start to land the plane of his letter. And he tells the believer and encourages the believer with this message on patience and endurance. Patience means to have a long fuse. You remember we talked about that before the baptism? To have a long fuse between us and an emotional boil over. Okay, that took longer than I was hoping it was going to take. But that is our review that brings us now to chapter 5, verse 13, and the verses that we read. I want to take my remaining time today to, to really encourage you and build you up with this last handful of verses from chapter 5. I was asked a couple of weeks ago... Um, if I would address the scriptures in this passage as they pertain to healing, verses 13 in, through 15 in particular, and specifically was a, there was a question regarding some of the Greek words that are used in this passage as relates to sickness, uh, because as we're going to find out here in just a few minutes, James uses a real interesting co uh, combination of Greek words to make his point today. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know how much I love talking about Greek words. So we're going to do that this morning. Uh, and let me say this before we jump into those Greek words. What a wonderful way it is for James to end this very challenging letter on a note of encouragement. That if you're ever looking for encouragement, this is one of the finest spots in the New Testament to come and be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. We've endured the correction. James's book is a very corrective book. It, it's, it's, like going, it's like going and getting a deep tissue massage. You're like, oh, do it again. It hurts so good. Because he's working out knots. He's getting to the, to the foundation of issues in our lives as believers. But then as we get to the end, it's like when you do get a massage and they got that nice spa music playing in the background. This second half of the chapter is the spa music, okay? This is where we get a little bit refreshed at the very end. And, and, and there's so much encouragement here. In fact, I, I think this is one of the most encouraging and faith-building passages in all of the New Testament. So if you ever need to get your faith stirred up, you can come to James 5 to do it. Amen? So let's look at some Greek words and define them. I'm going to read verses 13 through 15 again. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? 
Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Wow, isn't that encouraging? Praise God. These are promises from the Lord. I'm going to look at some Greek words and define them. And then once we define them, I'll go back and read that passage again with the understanding and see how it comes out for us. I think you're going to be uh, surprised and encouraged. Verse 13, he said, is any among you suffering? Any among you suffering? The word suffering here is the word kakapatheo. Kakapatheo. And uh, it comes from a combination of two different Greek words. Uh, and, and, and when you put these two words together, it means to endure hardship and to endure evil things. Kakopatheo means to endure hardship and evil things. The word comes from combining kakos, which is the word that describes something evil, and pathos, which is the word that describes emotions connected to our pains and to our passions. In fact, the word pathos is the word that we get the English word passion from. Sometimes passion's good. Sometimes passion's not so good. Passion that leads you in the direction of your relationship with God is healthy. Passion that fuels your, you know, flesh to do flesh things is not good. Amen? Amen. How many of you have been real passionate before about staying in bed instead of coming to church on Sunday? <laughs> just super passionate. This oh Lord, I just, hallelujah, I just feel so passionate about my pillow. <laughs> No, there are passions that are heavenly and are godly and lead us in the direction that God wants us to go in our relationship. And then there are passions that lead us in the direction that the enemy wants for our lives. And how many of you know both God and the devil are after your passion? It's true. Both God and the devil are after your passion. I heard Pastor Rick Renner say this one time. He said, both God and the devil want the same thing. All of you. All of you. Amen. So this word, when it comes to uh, describing the word suffering, it's the word which describes a person who is suffering in their emotions because of some grief or some evil that has inflicted pain in a passionate area of their life. When people endure evil and when they endure pain, it causes grief, especially if it's a part of your life that's important to you. Like the loss of a loved one. Like a a marriage that comes to an end. Like when there's a leader in your life who has been, in your eyes, this person that is so revered and you hold them to such a high esteem and then they do or say something that impacts you, that, that knocks them down a few pegs. And all of a sudden you're left going, where did this grief come from? Anybody ever lost a loved one? Anybody ever walked through a grieving situation? Can I ask you a question? How does a person overcome that kind of suffering? Pray. Pray. Amen. Don't let it be too simple. Don't let the answer be too simple. Maybe, maybe, maybe you were looking for something that had you know, a little bit more uh, words attached to it. 
Maybe we're, sometimes we're looking for a complicated response to a complicated issue. I'm here to tell you, James tells us, is anybody suffering? Is anybody going through this emotional issue because of grief that has happened to them, that where, where evil came into their life and inflicted pain, and now they don't know how to deal with this grief? What do you do? You pray. The biblical response to this kind of suffering is to pray. This is the kind of thing that requires breakthrough. Amen. And, and you know this, if you've had grief in your life, and, and, and by the way, I'm talking about grief that's lasted too long. I'm talking about, you know, your grandma died in 1996 and you still struggle to tie your shoes in the morning because I just miss her so much. The answer is to pray. Not to pacify. Not to find a coping mechanism. Can I, can I get in your business this morning for just a minute? Not to find a coping mechanism. Not to watch, you don't need another Netflix series. Amen. You don't, you don't need to buy something else. If I could just get this thing, I know I'll feel better. You don't need to, listen, you can take that 17th vacation this summer if you want to. The problem's still going to be there when you get back. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor, I thought you said this part of the chapter was encouraging. <laughs> Listen, anything that's less than a biblical prescription for our issues is just something we fabricate to cope with something that God wants to give us breakthrough in. Can I tell you, don't substitute the breakthrough that the Lord has in store for you for a coping mechanism to help you get through. Amen. There's real breakthrough if you'll do things God's way. Is there anybody among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, he keeps going, and to be honest with you, I never could understand why in the heck James wrote this the way that he wrote it. Is there any among, among you suffering? Is there anybody happy? Let him sing. Anybody sick? It's like, it's like James has got, he's got suffering on this side, he's got sickness on this side, and then for some reason, he sandwiches those two things and wraps them around happiness. Is anybody cheerful? Let him sing. James, why in the world would you write that that way? Why would James put these two scenarios right next to each other? He's talking about suffering people and sick people, and right in the middle of it, he brings happy singing people. Why? Tell him I'll get it. Why would he do that? Did you ever think of this? Did you ever think of this idea that the that the praise of the joyful person would actually inspire and encourage the faith of someone who's grieving or someone who's sick. The praise-filled testimony of the victorious person can and will inspire faith of the weakened person if they'll receive it. This is why testimonies are so powerful. 
Because if you'll receive it, hearing the faithfulness of God come from someone else's mouth will stir up something on the inside of you. When you get reminded that if God did it for Moses, he'll do it for you. If he did it for David, he'll do it for you. If he did it for Peter, he'll do it for you. If he did it for James, he'll do it for you. If he did it for your granny, he'll do it for you. If he did it for somebody else sitting next to you in the service, he'll do it for you too. Because he's not a respecter of person. And if, if you'll receive what he has to say to you through the praise and the joy of someone who's received, my God, it'll set you free. Amen. It'll set you free. Hallelujah. This is why testimonies are so powerful. I was reading this this week as I was studying earlier in the week. And I thought, James, what are you doing here? Why are you, why are you writing it this way? And then it hit me. Oh, that's probably because he's inspiring people. To sing about the faithfulness of God. Are you joyful? Are you cheerful? You got a reason to shout? Shout, baby, because there's somebody next to you that probably needs to hear your shout. There's somebody next to you that may have forgotten that God was faithful. There's somebody near you that, that may need to be reminded that the Lord actually will meet them where they're at and meet you where you're at. Amen? He continues by saying, is there anyone among you Sick. Now, this word sick is different from the word suffering. And it's actually different from the next time he uses the word sick in the following verse. So it helps sometimes to dig into these Greek words. You really start to understand things that you didn't recognize on the surface, right? This time, when he says, Is there any among you sick? it's the word astheneo or astheneo. And it describes significant sickness. Listen to this. This describes a person who's been so weakened by sickness and disease that they can't get out of bed. Maybe they're in a hospital bed. Maybe they're in a coma. They can't come to church and receive prayer, so James says, we got to take the church to them. Anybody among you sick, let them call for the elders of the church, and we'll come to you. Church on the go. James says that they need to call for those with spiritual authority, folks who know how to pray, and come to them. James goes on to instruct those elders in this verse who are praying to anoint with oil, which is symbolic of the power of the Holy Ghost. Symbolic of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the person who receives the prayer. I remember hearing testimony from a, 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 a well-known minister that I grew up listening to and still listen to and respect. He's gone home to be with the Lord now. But he talks about the moment that he read this passage of scripture and got understanding from it. And the Lord really showed him uh, some things and how it, it encouraged him and helped him to get and receive healing in his own life. Because he was discouraged. He said, you know, Lord, I, I'm frustrated. I'm reading this that says that if the elders of the church will come and pray for me and anoint me with oil, that I'll get better. But he said, the problem is nobody in my church knows how to pray. And nobody in my church, they don't even believe in healing. I don't think that they would, if I asked them to come and anoint me, I don't think they would even do it. What am I going to do, Lord? And he got a little upset about it. And then the Lord began to show him what, what James is saying in this passage. It's not so much whether it's an elder, and it's not so much whether the oil's there. It's the prayer of faith that saves the sick. We're going to see that here in just a second. But these other things are important too. And it's important to obey the Lord. In the Old Testament, the word anoint literally means to smear with oil. So we're not talking about a little sprinkle. 
right? We're not talking about just a little dabble, do you? No, we're, we're talking about this anointing oil that James is describing is symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming and smearing and covering you. You know, when, when, you remember when, when Samuel anointed David to be king over Israel? Do you remember, you remember what happened? He went through all of his brothers and said, no, this is not the one, this is not the one, this is not the one, this is not the one. Finally, they said, where's David? Somebody go get David. Oh, he's out tending the sheep. He was a teenager. And he came in, you know, wild hair, probably a little sunburned, smelling like sheep poop. What did Samuel say? That's the guy. That's the one. That's the Lord's anointed. And then what did he do? He anointed him. He took this horn. Anybody ever seen a ram's horn? Sometimes they're short. Sometimes they're super long. He took this horn that had been filled with olive oil. It'd be like going to Costco and getting one of the Costco olive oils and be like, Claire, I'm going to anoint you. And it just, you know, it, it covered him. Why is it so important? It's because God understands that we're natural beings and we have to sometimes see something physically to understand the weight of it. it the spiritual significance is of being covered by the Holy Spirit in the same way David was covered by all those glugs of Samuel's oil. And James says when somebody is sick, to, especially to the point that they are, they are bedfast, they can't get up and come to church, they can't do anything to help themselves, send somebody that knows how to pray and tell them to bring some olive oil and and anoint that person with oil, representing that the Spirit of God is coming to cover them to do a miracle in their life. Amen. Amen. There is no intrinsic power in the oil, but it's a tangible substance used to declare that the presence of the Holy Spirit is coming to heal and to deliver. It's not unlike communion. You know, when we take communion, we're drinking grape juice. We eat these wafers that taste like popcorn, packing popcorn peanuts, and, and they're terrible, and I, I can't stand them, but they're convenient, so we use them. But it, it's not, that's not the body of Jesus. It's styrofoam. Okay? It's edible, food-grade styrofoam. And we're taking it, why? In representation of the body and blood of the Lord. And what is that? That becomes what we call a point of contact for our faith. I'm, I'm doing this symbolically because I know that Jesus shed his, his blood and he broke his body for me. So I'm going to receive. It's not unlike communion. And then James gets real intense and this is where it gets powerful. James says, let them pray in the name of the Lord. Did you notice that? Is any money among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil. What? In the name of the Lord. The word name used in this passage means the full authority that exists in the person being named. Oh, glory to God. The pastor, what if I don't have olive oil, but I'm supposed, I know I'm supposed to pray for somebody. Listen, baby, you may not have access to an elder, and you may not have the olive oil that you need that moment, but if you're a Christian, you always will have the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and according to James, you'll have the full authority vested in that name. That's why, that's why Paul says in Philippians that every knee bows, and every tongue confesses that he is Lord, because God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name 
name that's above every other name. So when you're praying for somebody, when you're praying for yourself, whatever's being named, whatever's coming after you, whatever the attack of the enemy looks like, it has to be subject to the name of Jesus. Amen. Now he goes on. I got to keep going. I could preach on this for next hour, but still have so much to cover. The, 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 the prayer of faith he goes on to talk about in verse 15 is what saves the sick. But now he uses a different word for sickness here. In, the, in verse 15, he, he says, he uses this word camno in the Greek. Kind of sounds like camo, but with an N. Camno. And it means to grow weary or be weary. It describes a person whose sickness has over time made them weary. We're not talking about a short-term situation. This is not somebody who broke their arm yesterday. This is somebody who's had diabetes for three decades and they just can't beat it. And it's making their faith weary. Have you ever felt like you were standing for something so long and then while you're standing, you just feel like, oh man, I really could use, I really could use some encouragement. I really could use something to help me stand. This word, camno, describes someone who whose situation has made them weary. I think of biblical examples for this one, like the woman with the issue of blood from Mark chapter five. You remember her? Bible says she spent all that she had and she didn't grow any better. She actually got worse. And then she heard about Jesus. I, I, think, of, I think of situations like that where there's no hope earthly. There's no earthly remedy to fix the situation. That's when a person's hope comes under attack. But the Bible says that the prayer of faith will raise this person up. The word raise in the Greek here is the word we get resurrection from. Just like Jesus was raised up from the dead, that same power, according to Romans chapter 8, that same power lives in you and it'll raise you up too, just like it raised him up. Amen? Amen. Now, let's go through this whole passage, now having the benefit of these Greek words, and let's see what it says to us. Are any of you suffering emotional grief and hardships? The answer is, you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Your testimony of your praise will influence the faith of the person who's suffering and sick. Are any among you sick on a bed of serious or significant illness, leaving you unable to do anything about it? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil, symbolizing the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and in the full weight and the authority of the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will save and rescue and heal the person who's become totally weary from their sickness, and the Lord will resurrect them. And if you've committed any sins, by the way, you'll be forgiven for that along the way. Sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Come on. Sounds like a good deal. That I trade what's ailing me for the healing that God offers for free. Sounds like a great deal. Amen. You don't have to be too smart to know that's a really good deal. Now, having made this point, I got about 10 minutes left. Y'all doing okay? Everybody all right still? Okay. I told you it was going to be like drinking from a fire hose. We got too much to talk about this Now, having made this point about God's power to heal in, the past, in, the, in, the, in this passage, these last four verses, James now instructs us 
to do something. What does he tell us to do? Verse 16, pray for one another. Look at verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. (laughs) Notice the phrase that you may be healed. Before I get to the availeth much part, if you grew up like I did in the church in the 80s and 90s, you'd kind of remember people quoting things in the old King James. Effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I got any availeth much people in the room with me this morning? That's, that's awesome. Praise God. Before we get to the availeth much part, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another, what? That you may be healed. It's interesting to me that James is calling our attention to the response that comes from prayer. James is instructing us, in other words, to pray toward an expected outcome and an expected end. The old-time Pentecostals used to call this idea praying through. Did you ever hear anybody say that before? Praying through. So, Pastor, we're going to get together. We're going to pray. What are we praying about? Well, we're praying about these three issues. Well, how long are you going to be praying for? We're going to pray till we pray through. We're going to pray till we get on the other side of whatever this spiritual attack is and whatever this issue is, and we're going to commit to stay in prayer until something changes. Can I tell you that I think this is one of the single greatest issues facing the prayer life of Christians today? I think it's, the, I think it's one of the top three single greatest issues that we face in prayer in our own lives today. Why? Because everything else in your life happens like that. You don't have to wait for anything. I mean, shoot, if you live in a big city, you can order Amazon and it will be there that day. But via drone. I mean, I mean, whatever you need. It's just that you're beck and call, it's at your fingertips. Even stuff that used to take a long time. Used to used to be that bread took like hours to rise. Now you're just like, oh man, I want some bread. Oh, well, there's 73 different places I can get bread from in the next seven seconds. Everything you need is, is on your phone, right? Wrong. Everything you need is not on your phone. Everything you need is on your knees. Amen. But, but, but we live in a culture that has convinced us that everything that we need is, is at our fingertips out here. And one of the things I think that happens is that our prayer life subtly, without us saying it, without us thinking about it, our prayer life subtly gets infiltrated. And, and we think that if we don't get the answer lickety split to our prayer, that something's wrong. Maybe God doesn't love us. Maybe he's angry with me. Maybe I did something wrong to mess this up. No. Can, what if you just committed to spend the rest of the day in prayer? What if you just said, you know what? I got this issue in my life and I'm going to go get on my face before God and I'm going to get with the Lord until this thing gets resolved in my life. Amen. It's true. Part of the challenge that we face is that we don't stay with something long enough to see it through. Amen. Well, I'll say amen. Our problem in prayer is twofold. We either, A, don't do it. Right? Right? We just don't pray. 
Or we don't make a commitment to stay with it in order for the prayer to be effective. Because what James says here is that if we'll stay with it, if we'll pray that we may be healed. I mean, how how many times have you heard testimonies? I've heard testimonies of people like sister so-and-so was sick. And so four or five of us went from the church and we got around her bed and we prayed and we prayed for four hours. And then man, the presence of God came in the room and she sat up and she was healed. I grew, y'all, I grew up hearing testimony after testimony after testimony of that very thing happening all the time. What's different? Well, I can tell you it's not the spirit of God. What's changed? It's, it's, it's not our doctrine. Our doctrine hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit's the same spirit. He's just as good as he ever was. Maybe we need to tell our flesh to shut up. And pray until the power of God hits your life. Y'all remember Jesus' rebuke of the disciples? I was going to turn there, but we don't have time. It's in Matthew chapter 23 if you're interested. Or excuse me, Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 26. I can't talk this morning. You and me, we're dealing with whatever the same thing, keeping us from talking. Matthew 26, Jesus goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happens? He brings Peter, James, and John with him. And what do they do? They fall asleep. And what does Jesus rebuke to them? Hey, you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour to watch and pray? And then he goes on to say, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation because the spirit is indeed willing and the flesh is weak. Sometimes when it comes to our prayer life being effective, we have to tell our flesh to be quiet. Amen. Sometimes you just have to tell your flesh to be quiet. No flesh. I'm, I'm seeking the Lord. I was doing it the other morning. I get up early and I pray before anybody else in my house wakes up. And I was, I was praying and all these thoughts started hitting me of all the things I had to do that day. It wasn't evil. You know, the devil wasn't like, hey, you should leave your wife and rob a bank and kill somebody on, you know, this afternoon. No, it wasn't, it wasn't gross sin. It was just like, man, you got this meeting this morning. Make sure you're ready for this. Make sure you're going to, you got to, but don't forget to call this person today. You got to do that. And I said, mind, you be quiet and you get focused. Flesh, you settle down. And I had the most glorious prayer time after that. Sometimes you've got to bring your body and your mind and yourself into some submission and say, no, I'm here to seek the Lord today. I'm going to pray that I may be healed. I'm going to pray to an expected end. Listen to this in the Amplified. It says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. I'm here to tell you the power of God that comes through your prayer life is dynamic in what it can accomplish. The NLT says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It's awesome. How many of you could just use some wonderful results in your life? Amen. Listen to the easy to read version. It's for people like me. The easy to read version. Anyone who lives the way God wants can pray and great things will happen. Isn't that awesome? I saw that. I was like, God dog, Lord, you're good. 
Anyone who lives the way God wants can pray and great things will happen. Sometimes people develop this mindset over time that we have to convince God that the reason we're praying for a long time is so that we can eventually win God over. No. You don't have to change God's mind. God wants his best for you more than you want it for yourself. Here's the reality. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. By the way, I'm about to close. Just in case somebody was nervous. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you first, and then it changes your situation. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you first, and then it changes the situation. Do you remember when Elijah was in the cave and he was praying? Do you remember after he had been chased by, uh, he, he ran away from Jezebel. He had just killed all these people on Mount Carmel, all these false prophets. And then he ran to the brook of Cherith and he stayed there and he went to sleep for a long time because he was tired and he was burned out because he was doing ministry in his own strength. That's a whole nother message. But then Elijah gets alone with God in this cave. And God begins to speak to him. And before, before God can use Elijah's words to change anything, he changes Elijah's heart. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes you first, and then it changes the situation. Elijah prayed, and God miraculously responded to him over and over and over. Elijah's one of the coolest characters in the Old Testament because he just had one awesome thing after another, one awesome miracle after another. And that is a pattern throughout all of Scripture. Elijah prayed and something happened. Moses prayed, something happened. Abraham prayed, something happened. Isaac prayed, something happened. There's this pattern throughout all of Israel's history. David prayed, things happened. Solomon prayed, things happened. Where did we get this idea that when we pray, nothing happens? I heard a preacher say this one time, and it so blessed me. He said, Jesus never told us how to deal with unanswered prayers, because in Jesus' mind, there is no prayer that should ever be unanswered. Selah. Think on that one for a minute. Jesus didn't tell you, here's how you deal with prayers when they don't get answered. Because in Jesus' mind, when you talk to the Father, that prayer should be answered. Amen. All these people through the Old Testament, we talked a couple weeks ago about Hannah, about how, she, how, how God answered her prayer when she cried and, and prayed at the temple. Solomon, Elijah, Peter, Paul, James, all these people, they prayed and something happened. Maybe it was your grandmother that prayed and something happened in your life. Maybe it was your mom and your dad and they prayed for you and because they prayed consistently in your life, now you know the Lord today. <laughs> Somebody wouldn't leave you alone, wouldn't leave God alone until you gave your life to Jesus. So we talk about the power of prayer, but sometimes we talk about it flippantly. And we, we, we don't remember that it's actually a tool given to us by God to change 
things in our life and in the lives of others. I'm so thankful that I have a praying mom. Amen. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that my kids have a praying mom. And a praying dad, too. I told y'all, I'm up before the rest of them. Maybe it was somebody in your life that besought God on your behalf, and now because of them, you're free. You know Jesus. I'm here to tell you this is, this is not make-believe that we're talking about. This, this isn't just, oh, look at these encouraging words on a page. Oh, that was such a nice letter that James wrote to those people. I'm so encouraged by it. No, this is real. This is as real as real can be. Prayer changes things. God wants to change your life today. God wants to change the lives of your family members today. And with a couple of personal testimonies from prayer. Last week, last week, we got notification of uh, Emily, Emily's mom, Emily Neff's mom, who had gone in for a knee replacement surgery, what was it, two months ago, a month ago, so quite a while ago. Surgery went good, everything was fine. Then all of a sudden, she got infected. Something started happening in the area that that she had received surgery on and she had to go into the hospital and it got real serious real fast and she went into a coma. And we prayed for her on Sunday last week under the picnic shelter before we baptized some people. And Emily was there and she, she could attest to this. My wife got a text message from Emily on Monday morning saying mom woke up from her coma. Amen. Give the Lord praise. And we've been getting more information coming back. She's, she's healing. She's getting better. She's growing. She's, or she's not growing. She, she's, uh, she's learning how to feed herself again and learning how to walk again. And she's going through physical therapy and she's coming back. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, listen. What the enemy means for harm, God will redeem it every single time. Doesn't mean God planned it. God wasn't the one, you know, architecting her downfall. God didn't put her into a coma. He didn't. He didn't put her in. He got her out. Amen. Just this morning, Brother Danny told us an awesome testimony of his progress. God's working miraculously in our lives. Monday. We got word of a very close and dear friend of our family who lives in another state, had a massive heart attack. He was in a coma in, in the hospital. As of Monday evening, there was discussion about, you know, the doctors wanting the family to make a decision on whether or not to keep him on life support or not. They were concerned he had lost, he had lost enough uh, oxygen. His, his heart had stopped for like 30 minutes. So they were concerned that his brain function wouldn't work because of how long his brain had gone without oxygen because his blood wasn't pumping. 30 or 35 minutes. 
And they said, well, we, we got to make a decision on whether or not to keep him on life support. We were here that night. This is just this past Monday. It was myself, my mom, Andrew Hensley, and Gracie. And, and, and we, by the way, we do this every Monday. Well, I don't because I do other things sometimes. But sometimes I come to prayer. <laughs> but our prayer team is here every single Monday night praying for you and your family and your people. And there's a team of folks here every single week that are praying for you. And so we prayed. We had an awesome time in the presence of the Lord. Wasn't it powerful? And Tuesday, I started getting text messages. I don't want to mention his name, just in case somebody is watching this. So-and-so squeezed his daughter's hand today. His eyes are moving. He's responding to our voices. They took this tube out. They took that tube out. The doctor's unsure of the prognosis, but they're happy with the progress that he's making. Last night, the, the, the night before, they were like, we need to determine whether or not we're going to plug this guy in and keep him plugged in or unplug him. And all week long, we keep getting testimony. Oh, his body's starting to, you know, make urine again. He's responding to it. He's squeezing people's hands. He's getting better. He's coming back. He's waking up. He's on his way back. This dude was down without breath and without oxygen for over a half hour. The effectual, fervent, heartfelt, consistent, dedicated prayer of a righteous person makes tremendous heavenly power available that is dynamic in its work. There is nothing that is too hard for our God. There is nothing that is impossible to our God. And if you and I will learn to rise up in faith and pray, tremendous heavenly power will be made available in our lives. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Can you stand up to your feet this morning? Um, just real quick, I just wanted to speak to the other side of that. If you did pray for something and it didn't happen the way that you wanted it to, because I think we've all been there, but don't let it stop you Amen. That's to right. pray for the next thing. That's right. Come on. Don't let it stop you yes. from believing God yes. for that next breakthrough that yeah. you need or that somebody else needs. Amen. So yeah, because he's still... He's still there, and that power yes. is still available. That's right. So I encourage you. Amen. Yeah. We're going to pray Don't over stop you believing. this morning. Amen. <laughs> Don't stop believing. Oh, gosh. Just a small town girl. <laughs> Living in a lonely world. That's Amen. Right. Right. Praise God. We're going to pray for you this morning. And we believe everything that we've said. God's power is made available to you. Amen. And if you pray for something in the past and it didn't come to happen, it didn't come to pass the way you wanted it to, don't let that stop you from praying. Don't let that hold you back. Don't let the enemy convince you that now God's not good. He used to be good, but for you, he's not. Can I tell you, there's two things that the enemy will try to convince you of every single time. Some of you have heard me say this before. Two things the devil 
wants you to believe. Number one, that the situation you're in is the situation you're going to be in for the rest of your life. He wants to convince you that whatever you're facing, you'll always face it. Get used to it. Learn to cope with it because you'll always be dealing with this for the rest of your life. Bull butter. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. And the second thing he wants you to believe is that your, your situation is so unique and so special that even God himself can't fix it. If he can convince you of one or both of those things, he'll keep you trapped in whatever you're trapped in. So like Brianne said, don't, man, don't stop believing. Maybe it didn't go the way you wanted it to the last time. Don't let that be the hindrance that says, I'm not going to believe God anymore because he still loves you and prayer still works. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man still avails much. So we're going to pray for you this morning. And we believe what we're praying, don't we? We believe. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads this morning? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.